and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today, Shelly Zalis. Shelly is the CEO of the Female Quotient, a firm that helps Fortune 500 companies and impact organizations to advance the equality in the workplace. She's fostered multi-generational international community of women rising up to catalyze change. She started the Female Quotient Signature Pop-Up Experience, the Equity Lounge, and that's where this company just took off, and she'll tell us all about it in the podcast. She is a internationally renowned thought leader, movement maker, and champion of equality. She considers herself to be the chief troublemaker, uh, which I really love, and she tells us all about that. Uh, And she's just generally a really awesome, amazing person. She's interviewed influencers such as Katie Couric, Halle Berry, Gwyneth Paltrow, Sheryl Sandberg, Arianna Huffington, and more. She authors a Forbes column, and she does so much more. I met her through her son, Jake, who works for David Meltzer. David um, had invited me to come on his show Office Hours a couple of months ago, and when I met Jake, we hit it off, and he said, you have to meet my mom. Uh, Two powerful women just need to know each other. So uh, I met her. I love her company. I love what they're doing. I hope we get to work with them uh, someday, and I knew I had to interview Shelly for Reflect Forward. So I will bring you Shelly right now. Hang tight, and I'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited for you to meet Shelly Zalis. Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, gosh, I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, we're going to have such a fun time. All right, so I told everybody about FQ and uh, and how amazing you are, but we want to hear the backstory. How did it come to be? Well, I mean, I think the best stories are when a moment turns into a movement, and it definitely was not intentional. It just kind of happened by accident. So the female quotient really started because I was the only female CEO top 25 in market research. So of course, I am a chief troublemaker. I am a self-proclaimed chief troublemaker. Um, I was a CEO of a market research company. I am the pioneer of online research. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, so I had a crazy idea to pioneer online research and migrate research from offline to online in a day and age where only wealthy old men were on broadband. Um, and so no one believed that I could truly migrate or build an ecosystem for online research, but I did. Um, so that really was my claim to fame, um, being the mother of online research. Have you ever taken a survey on the internet? I have. Okay, so that was me, those boring surveys on the internet. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Uh, But it was quite the innovation at the time. Um, So I did create the business. And I knew that I was an anomaly being a female CEO in a male-dominated world. And I did think out of the box and had to create my own rules because being a woman in business, and more importantly, being a mother in business, having to rise the ranks and break every single rule that made no sense to me um, was quite the challenge, but also quite the opportunity for me. And so when I started my own company, OTX, Online Testing Exchange, I created the uncorporate rules. I broke all the rules that made no sense for me in the traditional world and created a lifestyle or life stage company, having no idea what that meant. But I no longer wanted to be the exception to the rule. I wanted to create the new norm. 
And then when I sold my company to Ipsos, the third largest research company in the world, being part of a publicly traded company, once again, I was one of three women out of 25 on a publicly traded board and found myself in the boys club again. Um, and so the female quotient really was born because I created something called the girls lounge by accident to take on the boys club, the opposite of boy is girl, the opposite of club is lounge. If there's a boys club, now there's going to be a girls lounge. And it really started because I wanted to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Heard there was 150,000 people, less than 3% were women. And I was tired of feeling alone at big industry conferences. And so when I wanted to go to CES, I thought, once again, I'm going to go to this, this conference, feel alone, and I don't want to go alone again. So I had two choices. Don't go or do what I did. Call a few girlfriends and say, will you go with me to CES in Las Vegas? And so I invited four girlfriends and said, by the way, if you have other women that want to go, please invite them. 24 hours later, 50 women showed up and we walked the floor together. And two remarkable things happened. One, every single guy's head turned like, where the heck did all of you women come from? And that's when I coined the phrase, power the pack. A woman alone has power, but collectively we have impact. And the second remarkable thing happened. I was surrounded by women just like me. Imposter syndrome, you know, that voice in your head. And the other, like, more business was done. We were just doing deals and our way, which was incredible. And this confidence moment, I just felt like we were invincible. We could do anything we wanted to do our way, which was incredible. So the Girls' Lounge was born, and the next day, 100 women. The next day, 300 women. And then I started creating these pop-up experiences at big industry conferences that were predominantly men. And what was remarkable at the time was women would say to me, but we're not girls, we're women. And I said, have you ever heard of a man object to being a boy in the boys club? Why are we creating our own double standards? And then the girls lounge became a phenomenon. We started creating pop-up lounges at every industry conference so that no woman would feel alone. And then the girls lounge became an equality lounge so that men would feel comfortable coming because gender equality is not a female issue, it's a social and economic issue. And then the equality lounges rolled up into the female quotient. And then the female quotient not only were creating pop-up lounges, but became the business of equality, where we realized it was time to change the equation and close the gaps. And that's where we are today. So long story short, that's how the female quotient was born. I love it. So it was not this like mastermind idea that you knew it was what you wanted to do. It literally just happened because of a CES conference. That's incredible. Well, you know, it's it certainly my entire career was not in a textbook. I have zigged and zagged, followed my heart and went from the business of market research to the business of equality and try to connect those dots. I mean... Who knew that I would end up where I am today? And there's no turning back. Uh, it so resonates, right? I uh, am in a, a male-dominated industry. I think there's one other uh, female CEO in the U.S., kind of in the industry, and and one in uh, in Europe that I know of. And people ask me all the time, like, how did you get into this? And it was like, well, not on purpose, <laughs> right? And how did a nice girl like you end up in a place like this? Who knew? 
<laughs> I always tell this funny story. I was in my first trade show, and it was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And of course, in industrial cleaning, there's super cleaning. And I remember seeing this guy in overalls with a hat with a little piece of poo hanging down saying, I'm number one at number two. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my career? How did I get here? But I'm so glad I did. It's been- Well, uh, can I my husband is a butt doctor. He's a colorectal <laughs> surgeon. So talk about poo. He always says he's the number one solution to your number two problem. So there you have it. Synchronicity. We see, we are connected. <laughs> uh, that's, that's so amazing. Too funny. <laughs> All right. I love that you call yourself the chief troublemaker. Um, so tell me about some of the rules that you broke. Like what, what was it that just felt like it was holding you back or that really wasn't resonating? So give us an example. Well, I mean, first of all, when I was like 25 years old, so pre-kids, I would be sitting in my office, you know, as an employee and in a cubicle and everyone around me, I mean, we would work until midnight and no one would leave their office. And this was pre-internet, right? Like pre-shopping, like pre-online shopping. So I don't even know what I was doing at my desk until midnight. Like what? No clients are working. Like what were we really doing? But we would sit there because no one else was leaving. So you stay because the person next to you would stay and the person next to you would stay and the person next to you would stay. And it was a domino effect. If one of us would have left, the rest of us would have left. But you have this implicit rule, so you think, that you all have to stay because everyone was staying. If we all would have made an agreement that we're leaving at 6 o'clock, we all would have left. Like, is there a handbook that says stay until midnight even if you're doing nothing, right? Like we were twiddling our thumbs because we thought we were being goody two-shoes and get rewarded for staying until midnight. Like we think that's a rule. Or how many times do you hear that you should not go to your kid's soccer game in the middle of the day? Who wrote that rule? Is that in the handbook? No, but you don't go. And so people say they sneak out. Why? Why are we sneaking out? You know, so when I started my own company, I created the uncorporate rules. Like I made the unspoken spoken. I would tell everyone, I'd have new employee meetings where I would say, never miss your kid's birthday, your parents' anniversary, or don't miss a date. Like I don't want you to go on dates when you're retired, you know, or wait until you're too old to get pregnant. Or I never took a, a maternity leave. Like, I remember taking client calls when I was pushing to have my baby from, you know, labor. Why? I remember, you know, like, you know, I would tell my, my employees, never miss a moment that mattered. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, no one will ever remember the meeting that you missed. But... And, you know, it's, you reflect forward. You know, we're going to talk about that. For me, reflect forward is my no regret policy. I never want to look back in life and say shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yep. I never want to regret anything. So I will always think forward and say, will I feel bad that I missed X, Y, or Z? And if the answer is yes, I won't miss that moment. 
because yeah. no one will ever remember the meeting that you missed, but the people that you spent that time with will always remember those moments. And I can yeah. tell you so many stories around that. And yeah. that is the most important thing that I always remind people about. And I will share so many stories with you that my children will tell you that they will never forget, yeah. ever. And even my son, 30 years old, well, just yesterday said, mom, I read emails that you sent to me 15 years ago. And I can't believe you took time out of your day when you were so busy and building companies that you paid attention, that you helped me with this, this, and this. He'll never forget that. Or my 24 year old, when I was selling my company, he was playing on a traveling hockey team. And his, his coach was Czechoslovakian and they were playing in Czechoslovakia. And it was the same week that I was selling my company to a company in Paris. And I had owners. And at that time, literally, we were in the middle of the transaction. And I wasn't going to miss traveling to Czechoslovakia with my child. And my owner's like, you cannot go on this trip. I said, I am not going to miss this trip with my kid. And all the hockey parents had their hockey bags. And I had my little suitcase because I don't check luggage. And there I am with my suit and my high heels going to the airport. We checked in and we were staying in these little dorms and I took an extra dorm room and I had a fax machine. That's what we had at the time. I had a fax machine. <laughs> and by day, the kids would practice and by night they'd play hockey. By day, I commuted to Paris. By night, I was the parent in the stands screaming so loud so my kid would see me at the game. I was exhausted, of course, commuting by day and, and at the game. But I did not miss the moment that mattered to my child. And I also still sold my company and did quite well. I did not miss that moment. Yep. So, you know, these are the things that translate and you still can have your life successfully with a career, you know, and a family and do it all as long as you do it all your, your way and, and live your life. So, and so how do you help women do that, right? Not, not everybody has the confidence to, to draw those kinds of boundaries. And not everybody works for a person who believes in those kinds of boundaries. Uh, so what advice do you have to, to women to be those rule breakers, to really put those into place in their career so they can be at those most important moments? You know, I think it's about following your heart and, and not listening to that voice in your head, but understanding that, Everyone is the same. You know, men and women have those voices in their head. Men just ignore it and women let, let it amplify. You know, my girlfriend, Wendy Clark says, just shut that bitch up in your head. <laughs> Move on. And so, you know, if you don't, you know, there's a few words you need to eliminate from your vocabulary. One is the word perfection. Yep. You know, perfect people aren't real. Real people aren't perfect. Let's just understand that you know, number one. So perfection, get rid of it. The word balance, get rid of it. There is no such thing as balance. We have one life with many dimension. Our work, our family, our community, our friends, and ourself. And so at every stage of your life, we need to, you know, pick and choose and also understand that everything, all those dimensions aren't always equal. You know, you need to make choices, you know, and figure out, you know, what you can allocate and how you want to allocate 
at every stage of your life. So get rid of the word balance and figure out how you have your life and how you're going to integrate the different pieces and which ones you're going to choose at every stage. So I think that is, you know, also incredibly important. And also trust your gut and follow your gut. Don't listen to everyone else telling you what to do and how to do it. Trust your gut and trust yourself to make those decisions. Yeah. And sometimes you might make the wrong decision, but so what? Yeah. It's just yeah. a decision. Make another one the next time. It doesn't really matter. Move on. You know, it's just a decision. And, you know, right or wrong, you know, and a job is going to come and go. But the people in your life that matter are the most precious commodities in your life. And they will also understand, you know. So I, I think that that's all I have to say. You know what? You'll get some bruises along the way. They yeah. will heal. Yeah, I love that. When I had my son uh, and back in 2012, I was in that same kind of point of like, how am I going to do this all? I was sitting on boards. I was, I was, you know, my every single minute of my schedule was jam packed. And I was like, how am I going to have time to be a good mom? And I remember calling my mom one day and I just was like, I broke down. I was crying. I was like, I just can't do it all. And she was like, you're right. It's unsustainable. So pick three things that you want to be really great at and then say no to everything else. And it was some of the best advice that she's ever given me. And I was like, well, I want to be a great mom. Um, I want to be a great CEO and I want to take good care of myself. I want to be in good shape. I want to feel good. So I cut everything else out. I got off of the boards. I said no. And I thought people were going to judge me. And, you know, not think I was doing enough, but I had so many people come up to me, uh, and say men and women and say, I wish I would say no more often. I'm resentful for all of these things that I feel like I have to do that I get myself into. And so I really realized how powerful just saying no was, but being crystal clear on these are the three most important things to me. I'll say yes to these three things and no to everything else. And that really helped me set those boundaries. And, you know, saying no is really powerful yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, it's being choiceful and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You might not be able to be as involved in your community at this stage of your life. It doesn't mean that you won't be. Exactly. But, you know, and also integrate, like my girlfriends are really important to me. So I combined my girlfriends and my exercise at the same time. And of course I spent less time on my exercise and more time on my girl. We would chat while we were exercising and I drink my coffee at the same time, but you know what? It was amazing. So you know what? Saying no is really important. And also the word great is a big word. I was a great mom, but I was not a normal mom. Yep. It's all relative. I didn't need to be the same as how my girlfriends were great. I was great my way, you know, I didn't have to be great the way they were great. I was great my way. And I found my own shortcuts. I decided I was not going to do carpool with moms. That did not work for me. That gave me so much stress because they would like call to change the carpool dates while I was in Europe, you know? And so I decided my greatest trick for all of you moms listening, the greatest carpool is with a teacher from school. Number one, they are reliable. They don't change the dates. They, they were so amazing. It was the greatest shortcut. PTA, complicated. You don't need to bake the cupcakes. You could buy them and display them nice 
on the platter. Like, you know, you don't have to do things the way others do. So don't judge yourself, you know, be kind to yourself. So great is also relative, right? I love that. Great your way. So I just want to say, be kind to yourself and don't read all those books that all the moms give you because they give you stress. Be great your way. I dunked my kids so many times under the water, giving them a bath. They popped right back up. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know, be, be kind to yourself. Yeah. Right. I love that. So, you know, I think that that's also really important. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I think about rule breaking is about maybe doing things that aren't expected. Like one of the, I mean, people ask me, you know, how did you become CEO at 28? Well, I put myself out there. I applied for something that I was grossly underqualified for and proved myself over time. And I think a lot of people are really scared to maybe say, uh, that's not for me. I don't have the right experience or I'm not this, I'm not that. So, you know, can you share a time when you just kind of threw those rules out the window and just went for something, um, that maybe people thought that you, that you couldn't do or you shouldn't do? Yeah. Listen, I think that when you follow the rules and you follow the textbook, that's status quo. And, you know, I have this concept. I've always been the first at doing a lot of things. And that's what an innovator, that's what an entrepreneur is. And so I always say I've been the first, the second, and the third. The first is always the innovator. You're trying new things. You're you're usually the one that fails. You know, there's no money. There's no ecosystem. You're building something that doesn't exist, which is why you always say you're usually the one that makes the mistakes and you usually fail. The second is the copycat. They copy everything you've done, but they don't really know what's under the hood. The third is the sweeper. They ride in on the white horse, you know, and now they get the money. They know how to, you know, pick up where you left off and they they win. They're the ones that come in and they take all the credit for everything and they win. So I always say there's no way someone is going to beat me at my own game. So I've always said I'm going to be the first I'm going to be the second and I'm going to be the third because I'm going to win at what I've created. So I've always challenged myself. And so I've always been the first. I've always copied myself and I've always swept. Right. So, you know, being a rule breaker means you are not following the textbook because that's what everyone else has done. You're not um, just status quo ho-hum because we'd be bored out of our wits end just doing what everyone else has done it is scary it is risky sometimes you kind of say oh my god do I have the the bandwidth the wherewithal the chutzpah the can I keep going you know oh so hard but you know it's what's it's where the excitement is and you know and so I don't mind. And, you know, when you give yourself the title of chief troublemaker, you give yourself permission to break the rules in a good way, you know. And uh, I I love it. I couldn't imagine any other way to find the solutions. You know, I always say there's always a solution. You just got to find it and you got to keep going and and finding the, the team around you. You know, I always say I hire for passion, train for skill. I want the people with passion that, mm-hmm. that keep the energy and they they all are in it with you that o- always will find these exciting ways to think, okay, 
we could do it this way. Well, this way didn't work. And they don't go down. Like when something goes wrong, they don't say, okay, I'm out. It's like, okay, let's find the new twist. Let's think about a new way. And the power of collaboration, you know, it's not just about one person. The whole concept of, in my opinion, entrepreneurship, it's about collaborating with others where one plus one is 11. That's the dynamic magic is when you you know that it's the power of many coming together and igniting these amazing new ideas. And then you're like, oh my God, that's so fantastic. That's electricity to me. Yeah, I love it. Oh my gosh, you just got me so excited. And I've never heard that be the one, two, and three in those spots, right? The innovator and the copycat and the sweeper. I love that. It thinks makes me think about a time like I just really disrupted my industry from way status quo and everybody was just sleeping and I made a dramatic change in our uh, in our business model and I shook up the whole industry and I was like that. I was like, I am not going to just sit here and be status quo, but I'm not going to get beat at this because I know what's going to happen as I do this whole disruption. And so it's really interesting to think about it in those three stages and, and, and challenge yourself to be all three. How do you come in and just make sure that no Nobody can compete with you or be like you if you play all three roles. So you know, I love you know that. Why I know that because I've been there. Yeah. Like I always say, I, I never would have known to be those three roles if I wasn't yeah. in the trenches. Yep. And, you know, and that's why I can say those. I've been there. Yeah. So how do you think women are progressing uh, these days? I mean, what's going well? What isn't going well? In terms of, of, of getting out of that messy middle and growing in the ranks and leadership roles? Well, I, I think a lot of things are evolving. One, we're using our voices for change, which I think is, is really important. I think we are making a lot of progress in Fortune 500 with um, a lot of the new uh, rules of the workplace. So, you know, one of the things that we are, you know, very instrumental in is helping change the equation with visibility and also closing the gaps, parity policy pipeline. So that that does have to change. You know, if we want to rewrite the rules, which is obviously very important in our world, um, then that will go a long way to changing, especially with flexibility and life stage accommodation and all the things that, that we're working on. That will help a lot. And I think that COVID, while there's a lot of negative, you know, we've gone backwards in the pay gap. Um, we are going to go forward with a lot of opportunities and silver linings around flexibility and not elective. I think what we do for some, we need to do for all, you know, flexibility of back to office um, with um, hours and, you know, back to physical office. I think we're going to see a lot of evolution Um you know, roles and responsibilities. I think that's that's going to help a lot. Um, but I also think that uh, responsibility when there is a dual partnership, um, responsibility at home will go a long way too. I think especially with um, millennials, we're going to start seeing caregiving responsibility be shared responsibility at home. So if we have more shared responsibility where it's not just by default the women's responsibility, that will also help with um, um, 
you know, the invisible work with shared responsibility. That will go a long way too. So it's not by default just the woman's responsibility. I think that will help a lot with this next generation coming up. Um, I think that will, will go a long way as well. I, and I think men should step in. I mean, my husband stayed because, uh, you know, being, I traveled all over the world when we had our son, it was like, he said he had just sold his business. He said, okay, well, I'm going to stay home for the first year. How are we going to do this? And until, you know, he figured out what he was going to do next by his next business. And, and I am so grateful for that. Like it made that first year so much better. And the bond that he has with our son is like no other. And so why would men want to miss out on this? I mean, it's so good. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really is amazing. And I think it it's, has to happen. Well, yeah. And I think so. I think if Fortune 500 wants to have um, more caring leaders, so let's yeah. use lexicon correctly, more caring leaders, they will work on new rules of, you know, their workforce and their workplace. Number one, I think that, you know, from a a caregiver responsibility, the more shared responsibility at home will go a long way towards dual income partnerships. So I think that will go a long way. And I think also we're going to see more um, entrepreneurial um, roles as well. You know, I think that you're going to start seeing, you know, more millennials looking to create their own companies where they create their own rules. You know, it's why I left Fortune 500 to start my own company at the time so that I could write my own rules and start my own company. Um, So I think you're gonna see a lot of um, reflect forward of what kind of roles um, millennials want to start creating for themselves. Yeah. I have a, um, I have a millennial mother of two who is absolutely brilliant and she, we have a very, we have a very liberal maternity leave and, and, and schedule, you know, how you can control your schedule, um, at my company. And she was offered a position in Seattle and they told her, name your price. And she said, no, because what I get at stone age is flexibility, uh, and a maternity leave policy that I am so incredibly grateful for and loyal for. And it allows my husband, you know, our roles here allows my husband to be able to help me with our two children. And we didn't lose a really great employee because of all of those other things and how we helped support that um, role sharing, you know, responsibility sharing at home for a job that was name your price. And I feel like people need to really wake up and listen to that because not everybody just wants to make money. Uh, you know, having uh, a more balanced life and feeling like you can be a good parent and be a good employee and have time to take care of yourself is going to be more and more important as we go forward. So I was really proud of that. Let's go back to language. The concept of maternity leave, the word leave, makes no sense to me. Yeah. What if it were parental in? Yeah, I love that. Like maternity leave, okay, you're going to leave for three months. What happens when you come back? Your child is still a child. I don't even get it. Like my, I'm going to be a grandmother in November. So my daughter-in-law has a very healthy maternity leave policy six months 
my son has a great paternity leave. But what happens when they come back? They still have a baby, a little baby. So what if we start using new language and creating new policies like parental in? Where you don't actually leave, but that we're creating a parental in policy. Now that you're a parent, which to me I call life stage accommodation. Now that you're a parent, how about if once you have the baby, it's a parental in policy that you have a new flexible schedule until your kid goes to school. Because once they go to school, it's going to help you. So for the next two years, how about if we work with you on a parental in that you have half days for two years instead of three months out? How about two years in what, you know, or something? So it's giving you two years of flexibility versus six months out where I don't know even as an employee what I'm supposed to do without you in the company. Like it's a void. Then you come back and you're still not in a good situation. You know, anyways, we need to rethink the whole structure. And it's one of the things I say, the rules of the workplace were written over a hundred years ago by men for men without women even because women weren't even in the workplace and they really don't work. Yeah, I agree. When I when I was came back from my maternity leave, you know, I slowly started to integrate, right? I came in and said, I'm going to work a day a week, two days a week, three days a week. What does that look like? And it really made a huge difference to be able to, you know, kind of that, that whole integration piece of it. And I agree with you completely. We have to change the rules because right now, look at, we're having massive shortage of workers. And a lot of them are women who have left the workforce because of having to be caretakers whether for that's for aging parents or their children. And if we want to get them back into the workforce, which we desperately need for a lot of reasons, we have to change it. We can't just say, well, sorry, it's an eight to five job and you have to be here and we're going to pay you a really crappy wage to do it. Uh, and expect people, expect women to, to say, oh yes, sign me up for that. <laughs> I want to go back to the way it used to be. It's just not going to happen. Retrofitting? Right. No. And, and by the way, so when we do retrofit, we're just keeping all the old shit and we're just adding some new. Yeah. So we're putting more junk in the trunk yeah. and piling up versus pause, clean slate. What jobs can we automate? What jobs do we really need in an office? What can be at home? How can we do job sharing? Which ones can be job sharing? You know, like rethink, reimagine, whiteboard. We have this opportunity right now. And so, you know, it might take a little extra work, but it's going to add so much more mileage to the gas tank if we actually take the extra minute, you know, pause, rejigger. If we're building the ecosystem today forward, reflect for, I love reflect forward. I keep using your language because it's genius. Genius. Thank you. <laughs> what does that look like? You yeah. know? 
So being that men are mostly still in, you know, in high level executive leadership roles, you know, in, in business and in government, what can men do to really spark this um, and support their female executive peers and those women in the messy middle or even women who just want to be individual contributors but still feel like they're valued and doing dignified work? So I want to use new language again. And I don't want to use the word men because it is men, but I want to use the word leaders because, you know, leader, leadership is still predominantly by default men and caregiving by default is still predominantly women. But if men are predominant, still the predominant caregiver, it's their issue too. And if women are predominantly the leader, it's their issue too. So I want to say leaders. So Leadership. What can leadership do? Um, They need to think about what is good for their bottom line. And what is good for their bottom line, you know, their return on investment, which ultimately will be good for their return on impact. If they want to think about their double bottom ROI, they are going to think forward they will reflect forward instead of retroactive and ask themselves those questions, which is as they are really thinking now about their opportunities, the silver lining of COVID, because we've had an 18-month pause, which is now resetting behavior. Um, How will they be thinking about the culture in their organizations um, from their workforce and their workplace. And, you know, how are they going to be re-entering and reimagining? And even things like microaggressions, you know, their culture, you know, a lot of what we were dealing with bias barriers that they were dealing with pre-COVID you know, because we had a lot of bias barriers. How are they going to address that coming back? You know, what does their HR departments look like now? What does their workforce look like from shifting the narrative? What do their policies look like? We now have set ourselves 25 years back on the pay cap. Why? Because of job eliminations and salary reductions. They eliminated a lot of entry-level positions, right, with furloughs and salary reductions. Well, what were those jobs? Entry-level jobs were women. And then all the women that had to opt out, as you said, the she session with caregiving. But they did not reflect forward. Had they done that, they might not have eliminated just the entry-level. They would have been more selective in what they eliminated. Right now is an opportunity before we just start rejiggering to think about that. Yeah. And I think people need to not be afraid to experiment. Like that's one of the things I'm looking at is, uh, you know, we're, we're all muddling along trying to figure out what this is going to look like and what we want to, to create, uh, in this new vision and we're going to make mistakes. Right. And I think that 
I know that I worry about that. Like, oh, what if I get this wrong? And, you know, all my employees are mad at me because I make some big mistake. But then I realize that's just what's going to have to happen because we're experimenting and we're trying to figure out a new way of doing things so that we don't go back to the old way. And, you know, how do we learn from these things? And and I think that's a big thing that, that leaders are going to have to just get comfortable with is that you're going to try things that work and you're going to try things that don't work, but just be you know open and honest and transparent as you're making these new policies and 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 creating these new workplaces but I think that's scary from some leaders and and be conscious I think it all starts with being conscious and the questions you're asking right now is being a conscious leader yeah and you know Carrie I'll help you too like there's also like we built all these tools to at least be conscious and plug and play some new models this is your opportunity to play with new models yeah because you have that opportunity. You have a new playground. And anybody trying to shove it back into the old way, I think is going to get left behind. And that's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Putting it into an old model is, is called lazy. Oh. It's called lazy. It's called not wanting to do the work. Lazy or fearful of the future, right? People like status quo, especially if they're comfortable in status quo. Uh, But a lot of people weren't comfortable in status quo, which is very clear with what's happening all around the world is there's, there has to be some radical change that's happening because people are just saying, we're not, we're not living this way. It's just not meaningful. It's not dignified. It's not value added. There are definitely people who are still comfortable in that status quo. Status quo is safe. And status quo is for leaders that are not willing to take risk and for leaders that are pushing buttons and pushing papers across their desk. And that is not you. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Definitely think everybody would agree with that. And I think everybody would agree that that's not you. Uh, all right. So I do want to talk about the female quotient and, and, and some of the things that you're doing, but before we do that, I do want to ask my signature question because you've said it a lot and I love that you love reflect forward, but looking at yourself, what does reflect forward mean, mean to you? You know, listen, you know, I think that I am a continuous reflect forward. You know, I'm a walking reflect forward, um, which is continuously, well, looking in the mirror and asking myself the question, you know, um, what's next and always being open-minded of, as I said before, you know, I, I have a no regret policy reflect forward for me is a no regret policy. I never want to look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. So I always say to myself, um, will I regret a decision? So I always think forward and act in the moment. That's beautiful. I love that. All right, let's talk about FQ. So you do so many amazing things. Um, your website, I just have all kinds of ideas of ways I want to work with you. What is your favorite thing that, that you do? Oh, gosh, um, you know, I, we are um, doing so many exciting things right now. I had to reflect forward um, now because, you know, I can't be what I was. I have to be who we are today. And so when I look at where we are today, post COVID, where we were pre COVID, we were doing 70 pop-up lounges at big industry conferences, where we are today, woke up and realized we have had over 700 conversations during COVID uh, with women in over a hundred countries. 
And next thing I knew, we have become experts on what women want, what women need. And we've become the best advisors to Fortune 500 companies on how to revisit what companies need to be today to attract and retain women inside of their companies. So I've redesigned our entire company, (laughs) really. So the female quotient, changing the equation, closing the gaps. And we are putting ourselves into four key buckets. One, um, doing equality lounges, because we are going back to physical lounges. Um, So that's still what we do, of course. Second bucket is really about an exchange, having conversations with women all over the world. So that is the third. The the third bucket is advisors. We are advising companies all over the world. And then the fourth is we've become a media brand, you know, really with the best content in the world um, across the board. We will be opening up a permanent equality lounge, which will be um, in Kenya. So it will be uh, um, an an accelerator, like an incubation hub, um, helping innovate, which will be amazing. We will also be hosting a global forum on March 8th on International Women's Day, which will light up the world with global topics um, around what women want and need. So it'll be creating FQ circles all over the world since we've been doing that, but now it'll be very formal. So lighting the world up uh, with conversations everywhere, which will be pretty darn exciting um, with our partner NBCU and a couple other really big partners, which will be very exciting. Uh, We just have so many pretty exciting things in the work. Um, And then of course, Carrie, let's talk about cleaning the world up. (laughs) It is messy and someone's got to do it. (laughs) Get the world clean. Uh, So we we just have some pretty amazing things happening right now. And, and then of course, you know, just helping girls and women um, in marginalized communities, which is obviously a very important thing that we do just to impact change. So however we can impact change, we are all in and the power of collaboration with all of our incredible partners is um, in our heart and, you know, the most important thing. That's so exciting. And why did you choose Kenya as your uh, home place for your accelerator? You know, it kind of chose us and um, we were, you know, we were fortunate to be given 4,000 square feet of amazing space in the heart of a smart city that is in a tech center. And, um, we have some amazing tech partners that, um, and there's so much innovation there and so many women that um, have brilliant ideas. So let's just light up the world with innovation and women. So exciting. That's amazing. All right. So how can people get involved and where can people find you? Uh, so at Female Quotient. So we have a great social following. So follow us on social at Female Quotient at Shelly Zalis. And uh, our website, Female Quotient. And uh, everyone is invited to any of our conversations. So we are hosting conversations. It is free for anyone to join. And anyone can host an FQ Circle, which is on our website. Um, So join the conversation. And we are really excited to have everyone. Oh, this has been such a fun conversation. Your passion is just contagious and inspiring. I have totally enjoyed myself. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. And can't wait to do so much more together. And Carrie, honestly, anything that we can help with and within your company and um, let's go. 
Awesome. Yeah, I talked to Rhonda uh, last week, so we've got some stuff in the works. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's a wrap. So hang tight, everybody, and I'll be right back. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Shelly. So much fun. Be sure to check out the female quotient doing all kinds of really cool things. And that's it for this episode of Reflect Forward. I hope you have a great day. And if you like this podcast, please like, share, review, rate. All of that is very much appreciated. Thank you. And I'll see you next week on Reflect Forward.